following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. All right, let's open our Bibles. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 16 this morning. Uh, Genesis 16. Um, let me say something to you uh, briefly before I jump in. Some of you have mentioned uh, a little bit of consternation over the fact that as the church grows, you're a little bit concerned over um, pastoral access, pastoral care, pastoral, the ability to talk with one of us. Uh, and we want you to know that and we want this to be very clear to the church um, so you can hear this. And if you're watching online, maybe you haven't catch a sermon. Maybe you, you know some members that are not here. You should refer them to this. Um, our elders are, and I, I don't even know, the word committed is not the best word because it seems like, yeah, whatever. Our elders are extremely committed to making sure that our church and our people are cared for personally. The greatest gift that God has given the church next to the Holy Spirit, the Bible, and the gospel are the people. The building does not make who we are. The location does not make who we are. It's the people of the church and who God has given the church. And we are incredibly committed to making sure that you have pastoral access, you have pastoral care, and you have support. So we are in the process, and we'd ask you to be praying. We're in the process of just considering how we're going to do this moving forward. Um, we had some meetings this week over it, and we're going to continue to meet about this. Um, it is, and, in, in, you know, when Paul said that there is a daily anxiety in the church, of the church on his heart, um, I can tell you as your senior pastor, that is real. Um, because I, I think about you and I pray for you and our elders do too. So I just want you to know if you've got that consternation or you're concerned, I want you to let, let, let settle in on you a little bit. We are committed to pastoral care, pastoral access for you, for our people, uh, more than we are. And I want this to sound, we need a building, but more than we are concerned about getting a building, we are more concerned about your souls. So I want everybody to hear that. So you can settle in, uh, let Jacoby be your home for right now. Understand what's happening and what God is doing. We're, I just want you to not be afraid. Okay? Hey, clear? Okay, good. All right, let's open our Bibles to Genesis 16. And this is a great word for us, especially right now where we're at in the church is, and in my own personal life, probably for you, waiting on God is challenging, is it not? Right? I mean, I remember last December when we showed the, the pictures of the you know, the building, I thought, man, we're going to have this by March, you know, me kind of thing. And waiting on God is challenging. And often in our waiting, I don't know about you, we come up with grand ideas of how to help God. Anybody ever done this? Right? Well, when I first moved to Oregon in 1994, I traveled and preached for a living. So what I did was an itinerant preacher. So basically what happened would be I'd go preach somewhere. Somebody would tell a friend in another town, you should have this guy come preach, and they'd call me, and I'd go preach for whatever they paid me. And there's times I'd drive to Astoria, Oregon. I'd preach at a preschool graduation for seven kids ages, you know, four and five with about 12 parents in the room, and they'd give me a $25 gift card, right? Awesome. And as I did that, I began to realize I need to get the word out that I am doing this and let people know about my ministry a little bit more. And and get information about Jill and I, what we do, how we do it, and the whole thing. So I asked a bunch of ministry friends that I knew, hey, would you send me some names of people that you think my ministry would help and be an encouragement to, and and then 
Jill and I put together some information about ourselves. They said, that's a great idea. So I got like 350 names. People all over the country, you know, I mean, we're going to go global, right? Um, so we went about making a really fancy professional brochure. I mean, we had a picture of Jill and I, which if you got Jill in the picture, everything's good. People should just say, I want those people to come because she's pretty. We need to have them in, right? Um, a little short bio. I had some friends write remarkable testimonies like, you know, Dave York's the real deal. You know, I mean, these, these kind of things. Um, and th- then included in the packet, we, we had a, uh, a cassette tape. Remember those cassette tapes? You put them into a, a cassette tape with, uh, Jill, Jill's favorite sermon that I'd ever preached. Right? So I let her pick, uh, the sermon and it was called When Jesus Comes on the Property from John chapter 11 about the resurrection of, of Lazarus. And we, you know, got it mastered and then we, had it recorded 350 different times, and we sent these packets out wherever those addresses were. I don't know, after about two to three months, we did not get one phone call back. And a buddy of mine called, and, you know, one of the guys gave me some recommendations, and he said, hey, how are things going, man? And I said, yeah, the phone's dead, dude. I mean, I I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, i got to pay some bills, and I, you know, I'm going to have to go out and mow some grass for, like, you know, hey, can you pay me 10 bucks for mowing the grass? I mean, i got to do something here to get this figured out. And, after hearing my disappointment, he just stopped me. He says, Hey, I gotta, I go, have you, have you listened to the sermon on that tape that you sent? I said, Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it's one of my, yeah, it was one of my favorite, Jill's favorite sermon. And I said, Why, why do you ask? He says, Well, I got, I, do you and Jill sing? I said, Do we, do, I said, Have you heard me sing? I mean, no, no, we, I, I don't sing. Why? And he says, Well, you might want to go and listen to that tape that you sent out. I got off the phone and immediately I told Joe what happened. We popped this thing in and you could hear the beginning of my sermon. John chapter 11, this is where we're going to be. And in the background, all of a sudden overwhelming this sermon was somebody's a duet singing the most awful rendition of the one of the oldest hymns you've ever heard in your life. And it was completely off tune. It was Wow! I mean, it was this loud, it was a man and a woman whom I have no idea who they were, completely drowning out my preaching. I was mortified. Like, I mean, I mean, we are sitting there staring at each other like, what has happened? People are listening to the thing and look at this brochure. These are really pretty people. They couldn't pitch a tune in a bucket. What is it? What is this? So no wonder I didn't get any calls. I mean, right? A great plan, horrible execution. Now, I gotta be honest, we listen, we had listened to the master tape, never heard that. I have no idea how this happened. It's a, it's a reason for why my staff is after me all the time to get some church CLF swag, you know? Get some, let's get some marketing. And I, I, I don't, I'm not a marketing guy because of that moment. I'm terrified. You know what's going to happen? We're going to get CLF swag and it's going to come out like have devil pictures on it. We're going to go, see, we're like, what is this? See, here, here was my thought. God, you need a little help getting my name out. I needed some promotion and God needed my wisdom. To fulfill my dreams. Have you ever done that? 
Liars. Yes, you have. <laughs> Waiting on God for something, coming up with a grand idea, and then fail. We do it with home buying. We do it with raising our kids. We do it with our finances. We do it with relationships. We do it everywhere. It happens all the time. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, I seem to be the one with my neck out all the like this is I'm the guy. Right? But here's the deal. We were not the first that's ever done that. Nor will we be the last. That's what we're going to study this morning in Genesis chapter 16. And here's what I hope we're going to learn today. When we try to assist God in fulfilling his promises, things get complicated. But God's grace is deeper than we could ever imagine. So just think about that again for a moment. When we try to assist God in fulfilling his promises, things get complicated. But God's grace is deeper than we could ever imagine. So let's stand together. We're going to read Genesis 16. Won't take us long. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to (laughs) Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife took Hagar, the Egyptian, Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said to Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing, for she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well is called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called his name, called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. May God bless the preaching and hearing 
of his word. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, if you know your Bibles at all, this is the famous story of Sarai and Hagar. It is a monumental moment in the history of the world. It's when really two worlds begin to collide. Scholars and historians will tell you that the Arab people trace their lineage to this particular story. Ishmael is the father of the Arab people who are constantly in conflict. You can feel it in the newspapers when you read it. And Muhammad, the greatest prophet in Islam, could trace his lineage back to Ishmael because of being of Arab descent. This story is also the beginnings, to some degree, of the Middle Eastern wars that you hear about and read about every day you open up the news feed. And it all started with something really simple. It started with someone attempting to help God out, and when that happened, things got really complicated. And let's be honest, they're still really complicated. So let's look at our first point in our outline, which is impatience and human ingenuity. Verse 1 introduces us to the main characters of the story. Sarai, who is Abram's wife, who was barren, and Hagar, her Egyptian servant. Now, if you know much of the story and if you've been with us, you'll remember in Genesis 12 when Abram went into Egypt and he lied about his wife being his wife. When Pharaoh found out about it, he gave him a bunch of possessions, including male slaves and female slaves. Most people tell us that Hagar was one of those that Abram left Egypt with. So you can just kind of get your bearings about where you are. Now, the reason why verse 1 of 16 is so critical to the story is it's coming directly after what God had promised to Abram in chapter 15, verse 4, that his own son would be the son of promise. Abram had been reminded on various occasions that he would father a great nation and his family would outnumber the stars of the sky and the sands on the beach. Yet here we are after what seems to be like a decade and nothing has happened. Sarai has still, Sarai has still not conceived. Now, if you've been tracking the story, you can feel the impatience beginning to build in Abram and Sarai's life. When will God do what he promised? Why hasn't Sarai conceived? When will this promise be fulfilled? Abram and Sarai are not getting any younger, and you don't have to know science or math to understand that's taking them beyond their childbearing years. But do you ever struggle with these kinds of issues? Like my story earlier, do you ever wonder, when will God get my name out? When will God finally fulfill the desires of my heart? Because that's what I'm told in the Bible, that he gives me the desires of my heart. Like I mentioned earlier, what about some of you ladies? And you can feel this. You've struggled in the room. You've struggled with the the ability to conceive. Maybe you've struggled as well. Some of us singles struggle with, when will God give me a spouse? And you feel the ache. And the impatience that's in the text. See, the text is saying some things to us, and you can feel it just coming off the text. 
Some of us have wondered if God will ever give us the very things that we have always wanted or the things that we thought God had promised us. You can feel that struggle. It's real. Well, imagine being Abram just for a moment. And God directly speaking to you that your descendants would be as many as the stars. You would have your own son who would be your heir. And 10 years after that promise, nothing's happened. Now do the math on 10 years, right? That would put us at 2033. That's a long time. Imagine how much time has gone since 2013. 10 years, nothing. And it's at that moment in the text that human ingenuity kicked in. You'll see this in verses 2 to the beginning of verse 4. Sarai thinks that the Lord's delay meant that Abram should conceive a child with her servant Hagar, and that child would then become Sarai's child. And Abram just simply listens to his wife, we'll cover that in a moment, and did what she suggested, and they conceived a baby, and he conceived a baby with Hagar. Now, before you, like, you know, wash your mouth out and try to clean up your brain to think how impure and immodest and immoral this is, understand Sarai's idea in their time was perfectly legal, and it was accepted in their culture. A.P. Ross explains it like this. Legal customs made it clear that a barren wife could give her maid to her husband as a wife, and that a son born to that union, of that union, could be the heir if the husband ever declared him to be so. This is not outside the socially accepted norm. And to be fair to Abram, if we're going to be fair to Abram, in, in chapter 15, when God gave him the promise that his own son would be his heir, you'll notice God doesn't mention Sarai in that moment. God said nothing in that moment about this being between him and Sarai. Yet, implied in Genesis 15 is the institution and the intimacy found in the marriage covenant. That God's plan from the beginning has been one man with one woman who then are fruitful and multiply together inside the bounds of marriage. So what you have with Sarai and Abram is just simply this. Now just listen to the phrases. Using socially acceptable means which violated God's commands in order to help God fulfill his promises. Now, do you see the problem? Using socially acceptable means, which violated God's commands, to help God fulfill his promises. We can say it this way. When impatience hits our hearts, sinful human ingenuity kicks in. Now, we know from the text, and from a hint given to us in the text, that this episode did not honor the Lord. Now, here's how we know that. Notice at the end of verse 2 how Moses, the author, includes this little phrase, and it doesn't seem like much. He says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Doesn't seem like much. But what that is doing is pointing us back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve had the same moment happen. And Eve is tempted by the serpent, takes the fruit, 
She gives it to her husband and he eats with standing right beside her. And when God comes on the scene to curse Adam, notice what he starts with. Because you listened to the voice of your wife. Now, dudes, I know what you're thinking. You're going, I knew it. I never should be listening to this woman. Before we get into that, right, and before all the ladies get up and walk out the door, right, let's think about what's being stated here. In both situations, the Lord gave the men very clear commands. And the men were to give that command or share that command with their wives as the leader of their home. Their wives then, in turn, gave them really bad advice. One was, hey, eat the fruit. The other was, hey, here's Hagar, my servant. Take her as a wife and have a baby with her. In both situations, disaster hits. Okay? The point, though, is not that ladies give bad advice. So, dudes, chill out a little bit. Okay? The point is, listen, ladies, very clearly, that ladies have remarkable sway over their husbands, even when men have heard directly from God. Now, you just think about that for a moment, ladies, when you have a world that says to you, the idea of a man and woman in leadership and, and submission in the home is an old, antiquated way of doing things. That means that women should be doormats. This is anything but a doormat. This is the most influential human in the home. These men heard directly from God. And their wives gave them bad advice. And then the men, like we do as men, followed their wives. So ladies need to be remarkably wise in the advice that they give their husbands. One thing I love about my wife, Jill understands that in the roles that I play in the world, she has to be very careful with in moments of tension and challenge that she doesn't bat her eyes a certain way to lead me. She is very cautious about the wisdom she gives to say, I want to make sure this is of the Lord. And further, what this says, though. Is Abram, like Adam before him, listened to the voice of his wife when it violated the clear command of God? Both men, and we know this, both men from historical should have said, that's a really dumb idea. You can't do that. This violates what God has asked us to do. But because they listened to the voice of their wife, that's where the problem lied, when their wife was giving them sinful, bad advice. Don't miss that in the middle of all this. So let's take point one and just draw some things out of it that I want you to be very clear about. The first one is this. Human ingenuity does not always equal the wisdom of God. Say that again. Human ingenuity does not always equal the wisdom of God. Nor does it mean it always doesn't equal the wisdom of God. See, we've got to understand this very clearly. Human ingenuity that clearly violates the principles of God's word is not the wisdom of God. And with the rise of technology, 
ingenuity and ingenuity in every age. Listen, you're facing this battle all the time. Every age has had to face this issue. It's very clear from God's word that he's made humans in his image, which means something. We have the ability to create, to work, to make things with our heads and our, and I mean, our heads and our hands. We can do remarkable things, but those are to be done within the boundaries of what God has set up. When Sarai and Abram clearly violated God's word and God's command on the institution and intimacy of marriage, they used a socially acceptable norm while usurping the timing of God. Sarai thought she was being wise and being practical, but God was not happy. God was not pleased. Now, friends, listen, in the world you're living in right now, you really need to be paying attention. With the rise of AI, with all the various things happening in the world around you, and as technologically advanced as our world is, Clearly making dividing lines is really hard. And you've got to think these things out, especially with your children rising up in a technologically advanced age way beyond you, even though you might have grown up with an iPhone. Everything from birth control methods to alternative conception methods to beginning of life care to end of life care must be viewed through a biblical lens. And we must ask really hard biblical questions. And we must weigh these decisions very carefully, very wisely, and very biblically. And listen, and they're not easy. So you may say, this is always wrong until you evaluate it biblically and you see it all the way through the whole message of God. Or this is always right until you evaluate all the way through every point of the principles of God. But it's not just in the technological world. Listen, it's in the church world. How we do ministry, how we demonstrate and declare the gospel is remarkably important in the day and age that you live in. And understanding the principles of God's word of how we interact with people about that gospel is remarkably important. For instance, the Great Commission cannot be completed by those who are willing to violate the golden rule. You know what the golden rule is? You treat others the way you want to be treated. There's a question for some of you that love to just be brash and harsh and rude and talk over the top of people. Is that the way you want the gospel brought to you? I guarantee you don't. Do you want to be yelled at? Probably not. Do you want to be harshly confronted publicly? No, you don't. Clear principles of scripture and ministry success does not mean people in the seats and the number of people that are present or based on money in the bank. Ministry success, church success, ideas of how do you know your church is accomplishing and what God is asking being successful is based on faithfulness to God over the long haul, not just one session or segment of time. Human ingenuity does not always equal the wisdom of God. And listen, it is not nearly as important. Human ingenuity is not nearly as important as being faithful to God. But I want you to notice something else in this story that I think we've got to get just get settled in with. 
God's delays are meant to deepen our dependence upon God. Kenneth Matthews wrote it like this. Like a roller coaster, the ups and downs of Abram's faith are staggering. After the remarkable commendation of his trust in the word of the Lord and the reiteration of the divine promises sealed by the covenant, the patriarch becomes a pawn in an unseemly plot hatched by Sarai to to obtain an heir. At times, Abram trusts the Lord. At times, he doesn't. Can you relate to that? I sure can. God's delays are meant to deepen our faith, deepen our dependence upon him. Lord, I want a new job. Wait. Lord, we want a new house. Wait. Lord, I want healing. Wait. Lord, I want a spouse. Wait. Lord, I wish you'd bring revival and change all of this. Wait. One of my favorite Puritans is Thomas Watson, and here's what he wrote in his wonderful book, The Godly Man's Picture. If God does not give us what we want, he will give us what we need. And often he has not given us what we want because he knows it would destroy us. Delays in life are meant to deepen our dependence upon God. So here's a question as you evaluate this. Where is God delaying something in your life to deepen your dependence upon him? I can name several areas in my own life. Write them down. Put them in your notes. And make it a part of your heart to say, Lord, I... You're, de- you're just delaying this to, to just help me depend on you more. The second point I want to see in our outline is tension with God and others. In our story, at this point, the story shows that tensions begin to boil over. You see it first evidence in Hagar's contempt of Sarai. And this, this would be very natural, right? I mean, you know, here you've got this lady, she gives you to this man to conceive a child and you're able to conceive the child and now you're carrying the baby for her and there's this contempt this what why are you treating me so poorly i'm carrying a baby for you and there's a sense of frustration but then you see the contempt in sarai she literally blames abram and hates hagar i gave her to your embrace and it's like early Take Hagar, have have a child. Gives her that. It works. And then she freaks out. And we're told that when Abram kind of threw his hands up, like, look, just do with her as you please. That Sarai treats her with such disdain and harshly that she eventually leaves. But then notice in verses 11 and 12 what the Lord told Hagar about her baby. And see if you don't see tensions rising even further. After telling her that the name of the baby would be Ishmael, he says, this baby would be a wild donkey of a man. His hand would be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he would dwell over against his kinsmen. Meaning this dude would be a man of conflict and those that followed him would be people of conflict. So think about the moment just as you just look at the moment. All Sarai wanted was a baby. It's 
seems good. Yet she used a socially acceptable means to violate God's principles to speed up God's timing. And what happened? There's tension everywhere. And friends, listen, you, you and I still feel the tension because of this moment. And there's something in this that's really valuable to learn in the history of this moment. You'll remember when God promised a son through Sarai and Abram, that son was intended to be a blessing to all nations. Notice the, the intention, a blessing, a joy. What comes out of Abram and Sarai is going to just be, bring peace and goodwill to all men. And then notice this son, Ishmael, through Hagar, will bring what? Conflict. Tension. What a, what a good principle to think about. When we step outside of God's boundaries, there's always conflict. Conflict within, conflict without. When we live within God's boundaries, there's blessing and there's peace. And we are at least, if possible with us, we're at peace with all people. Don't miss that. Now, you have in the text, you've got tension with Hagar and Sarai. You've got tension with Sarai and Abram. You've got t- tension with Ishmael and everyone. Now, look where it all started. Notice verse 2. It started with tension with God. Sarai blamed God for her barrenness. Now, there's some truth to this in the sense of it is indeed true God is the one who opens and closes the womb. But the language in the text is is one of anger, frustration, questioning the character of God, accusing God of working against her and her desires. She's angry with God. So when you do the math on the entire scene, here's what you have. You have the promised baby did not come in Sarai's timing. So she becomes embittered with God and impatiently comes up with her own plan, believing that plan is going to make her happy. Anybody ever been there? And when her plan didn't work, when her, I mean, excuse me, when her plan worked, now jealousy and suspicion fills her heart and she blames Hagar and Abram. And the child that's conceived becomes the son of conflict rather than a son of blessing. Do you see the challenge and the concern? Do you see why impatience with God is such a big issue? This reminds me of the wisdom that a pastor years ago told me, and I was wrestling through some, I mean, as you can only imagine, I mean, you know me well, uh, some impatience (laughs) and thinking, no, this is where we are going, and God is going to get us there, right? And he said to me this statement I'll never forget. He said, David, I've never regretted decisions I've made in patience but I have been grieved over decisions I made in haste. I've never regretted decisions I made in patience, but I've been grieved over decisions I made in haste. Friends, impatience and anger with God will lead us to use all sorts of ingenious ideas and will eventually come back to haunt us and will cause conflict within us and conflict with others. And you've got to consider, if this is you, 
you've got to ask yourself a very serious question. Is there ever a reason to be angry with God? Now, this is a big thing in our world today that people say, I was just angry with God. No big deal. Once I kind of addressed that, saw my anger. No, that's, that's sinful. Because you have to do some math and some thinking about this. What that means is you are accusing the perfectly all-wise, righteous God of the universe who governs all things with perfect, complete understanding from beginning to end, with perfect knowledge, and he never does anything wrong, never has, never will, and he won't ever do anything wrong, ever. And you then are saying that you're angry with God as if God did something wrong. That is an impossibility. There's no reason to ever be angry with God or angrily or frustratedly question his wisdom or his character because he is perfectly wise, perfectly good, and perfectly righteous. And many times in our anger and our impatience with God are usually not over evil things or wrong things. It's usually over things we're not getting. It's usually over simple things. I mean, Sarai's desire for a baby was not wrong. Is that wrong for a woman to want a baby? No, that's a very natural, healthy, wonderful thing. But listen, that desire for a baby became an idolatrous ruler of her heart. Friends, you're aware that the idols of your heart and my heart are generally not sinful or evil. Many times the idols of our hearts are things that we want that are good and we just want them too much and we want them now. So perhaps this morning, listen, your impatience and anger with God is simply revealing the idols of your heart. What are those? List them. Deal with them before God. Confess your anger to God that it's sinful. It's wrong. It's not righteous for you to be angry with God. And then ask God to reveal to you, what does this reveal at your heart? God is not in the wrong. You are. And evaluate it. And ask God to show these things to you. Have you ever asked yourself why God is withholding them from you? Could it be he's withholding them from you because he knows you so well that if he gave them to you, they would destroy you? And have you ever looked around at maybe some of the conflict in your heart or in your life around you and thought that God is using this to reveal the idolatry in your own heart? James 4 says it clearly. What causes fights and quarrels among you? You want something and you don't get it. Therefore, you murder. Tension with God leads to tension with others. And tension with God comes from worshiping something or someone other than God. So I want to give you, I want to give you a moment just to think about this. You can be freed of this today by believing with all your heart that your God, listen, your God is so good that he gave you everything that he believes is for your best right now to accomplish his ultimate end, which is eternal life in your life right now. 
And that means what you don't have that you wish you had is not good for you to have right now because God didn't give it to you. And you can believe with all your heart that that's revealed in the wonder of the gospel of Christ. That God did not send you straight to the pit of hell for your anger over him and at him, but instead has offered his son Jesus to forgive you and show you his perfect wisdom to save you. So listen, that's you. And I just want to encourage you before God today, deal with the idols of your heart. It'll free you. I could give you myriad of idols that the Lord has had to show me. I'll be out in the foyer if you want to talk about this. It's a biggie. Third thing I want to look at, and this is the last thing, is God's grace to the outcast. Hagar, at the point of the story, is so distraught at the way that Sarai treated her that she decided to head back to Egypt. On her way, the Lord met her and gave her the promise about her son Ishmael and told her to go back to Sarai and Abram. Now, you can do the math on that one for a second and think, God's telling her to go back to a situation where she's going to be treated very harshly. Now, there's some irony in the text because she's an Egyptian being harshly treated by the people of God. And in a few short years, the people of God are going to be in Egypt being harshly treated by Egyptians. The old saying, what goes around comes around is found in the text. (laughs) You're going to notice what the Lord says to Hagar in verse 10, when he gives her a promise, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. God blessed her and promised to give her a son and a people. It's fascinating that God tracks her down, just like he did with Adam. Adam, where are you? He says the same thing to her. Where are you going? Where have you come from? God God knew the answer to this. It's just drawing her out to have a discussion. He goes out to her, sees her need, and then promises to meet her. But look with me at her response. So she called the the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing. For she said, truly I have seen him who looks after me. Anger with God begins when we believe that God does not see us. Here is an outcast servant girl, a societal nobody, pregnant, scared, running for life, going back to her homeland that she's been gone from for years, and yet God, the God of heaven, sees her. And she sees him. She recognized that God saw her situation and looked after her. God is El Roy, the God who sees. And her response is ironic in the narrative. It's ironic in the narrative. Let A.P. Ross show you the irony of the text and see if you don't see yourself in this as well. The culmination of the story provides a lesson for the whole unit. It records God's direct revelation of Hagar's response and Hagar's faith response. God sees distress and affliction, and hears the cry for help. Abram and Sarai should have known this. God knew that Sarai was barren. She knew that God knew that she was barren. 
She should have cried out to the Lord. Instead, Sarai had to learn the hard way from the experience of the despised slave wife who came back with the faith experience and the word from God, Ishmael, which means God sees. Sarai did not cry out, but took human calculations. Ever done that before? Hagar, therefore, thereby benefited from God's provision instead of Sarai, so that she came to know more of God's presence in distress than did Sarai. The Lord sent her back to the tense situation from which she fled, but he sent her with a message and with hope. What remarkable lessons for us. Friends, listen, in your impatience, in your frustration, do you have and know that you have a God who sees? Friend, your God sees you. He sees you. You may feel like you get lost in humanity, but your God sees. He sees. He knows your distresses. He knows your pains. He knows your sorrows. He's not ignoring you. Your God sees you. But he doesn't just see your struggles. Oh, no, friends. He he sees your sin. He hears your questioning of him. He knows your anger. He sees you in the wilderness of your own sin, running back to a sinful prison. And he comes to you. You know what he does? He tracks you down and basically says, where are you going? How did you get here? And then he pulls you home and promises to you to give you life, joy, and a people. He comes to you in grace. I mean, isn't it fascinating? God could have just let Sarai run, or Hagar run. Just go go to Egypt, have the baby there. We're all good there. He could have turned a deaf ear to her cries, but instead, what did God do? God went to her. He went to her. And friends, our God could have left you and I in our sin and our misery. He could have let us run to our own destruction, but he didn't. Listen, he could let you sit in your anger and stew all your way to the pit of hell. But he doesn't do that, and he won't do that. He sent his son, a promise, Jesus, for us. John 1.14 says it very clearly. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory Glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you see? Your God, the God who sees, sees you. He sees you. And he sent his Son to say, I see you. I'm here to tabernacle with you. I'm here to dwell with you. And I'm full of grace. And he came for you. He came for me. He came for us. The question is, Like Hagar, do you see the God who sees? And he sees you in grace. He doesn't see you in impatience like you see him. He doesn't see you in anger like you see him. He doesn't see you in your frustration like you see him. He looks upon you with grace, with a promise that says this, come home. Come home. 
And listen, Christian believer, do you know that your God, he sees your dreams? He sees your disappointments with your dreams not being met. That was loud. Yeah. You guys were all with me, though, because you got startled right there, right? This is awesome. Some of you needed to wake up, right? <clears throat> the rest of you were dialed or that freaked you out, right? Your, listen, your God sees your disappointments. He sees your heart rate right now. You're in cardiac arrest, right? And he knows. He'll meet you, right? God will meet you, right? He sees your distresses. Here, here's all you have to do. You turn to your God. Don't pull a Sarai and Abram. What is socially acceptable that I could do right now that sounds really good and really wise, yet I don't know if it's biblically correct to speed up God's promises? Your God sees you. He hears you. He knows your needs before you ask, and he will meet you. Let Psalm 10 just settle into your soul. Oh, Lord. You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline their ear. Friend, I have prayed this for myself over and over recently. Oh, Lord, you see my desires. You will strengthen my heart and you will incline your ear to me. In 2000, in June of 2000, in Joe and I's darkest days of our life, we lost a precious baby girl. June the 10th is her birthday. She'd be 23 years old. Her name is Ruth. Ruth Deborah. She has a gravesite. And in the darkest days of our life, I crawled up in the hospital bed with my wife at 3 o'clock in the morning as she was crying. And I said, what's going on? She said, I just want to feed and take care of my baby. I said, what is the Lord stirring in your heart? And she said, oh, I've got this weird thing going off where God just keeps reminding me, though he may slay me, still I will trust him. I said, baby, that's the same promise God's given me. Let's turn our hearts to the God of all comfort because I don't know how to get through this. And friends, the God of all comfort, the God who sees, was present. And he's continued to be present. He knows and he cares. And I know this because I'm told in 2 Corinthians 1 that God, the God of all comfort, gives us grace in our times of comfort and need to help those who are also going through sorrow to be comforted by God. So I'm here as a messenger of God, a friend of yours, to tell you this. Your God cares for you. (laughs) Your God sees you. Your God loves you. And in the darkest days of your life, your God wants to be there to give you sustaining grace that you have no idea where it came from.
so that in your distresses, you can receive comfort from God and give comfort to those later who will go through it as well. Your God sees. He sees and hears your cries for health. He sees and hears your cries for a job. He sees and hears your distresses. He sees. But here's what I want to ask you. Do you see him? Oh, Christians see him. His marks are on an empty cross and an empty tomb. And he is seated right now at the right hand of God with nail marks. Making intercession for you because he sees you. Let's pray. Oh, God, comfort your people. There are many in the room that the trials and struggles and distresses of life have caused them to run to human ingenuity or to their own sinful prisons. And this morning, you want to set them free to the God of all grace. So that's you this morning. I just want to encourage you right now to turn your heart to the living God and thank God for seeing you and thank God for sending his son for you and ask God to help you to run home. And Father, there are those of us in the room that you have in the delays of life and the challenges of life, you have revealed the idolatry in our hearts where we were worshiping something or someone more than you. It may not be a bad thing. It may not be sinful. It may be a good thing that we want too much. And, Lord, we've become angry with you. We've, become, we've questioned your character. Forgive us. And like that scene with Hagar, and I can only imagine, Lord, it just feels like you you picked up her chin from looking at the ground and you said, look at me. I'm the God who sees. Would you meet your people who, Lord, right now are just confessing idols and acknowledging their sin and their battle with anger with you? Would you pick up their chin? And let them see the God who sees. Lord, thank you that you are perfectly wise. And you know us so well as to what to give us. That benefits our soul for the long haul. And it may be a lot of things we don't like. It may be things that we don't desire. And you may withhold desires from us. 
until you believe that we're ready for them. Thank you. Deepen our trust and our dependence upon you. Whether it's that that man or wife waiting for a new job, whether it's somebody waiting for a health, a good health diagnosis, whether it's a church like us waiting for a new building. Deepen our dependence upon you. Make us long for you more. Help us to see that you, you are all that matters and you are at work in us to accomplish everything that you have planned. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.